0: it's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Hi, Portico. Hi. Oh, there you are. Okay, see, the lights are up. I couldn't see you out there. just want to make sure you're in the room so that we can connect. You doing okay? Yeah, everybody ready for Christmas? <laughs> no. Yeah, no. The honesty is really good. I know. We'll get you out. You can go shopping. You've got seven days. Countdown's on. It's really good. Those of you that are ready, that's because you're expecting gifts. You're not giving, and so you're all ready to go. It's that way, isn't it? Well, let's get our apps out. Get your Bibles out. You can pull the notes out of the bulletin. We're in a series. It's called A, One, a Canadian 150 Christmas. We're celebrating both our culture and and also the Christmas story, and we're looking at the different words of Christmas. The best part, we've been looking at words like diversity and equality, freedom and opportunity. And so today, we're actually going to look at this word freedom. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 2, and you can turn over there, and that way you can track along. And while you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little job. Everybody okay? Interactive Church, you're good? All right, i got three people. The rest of you just follow along. It's going to work together. So I want to talk to you about freedom, but I need your help because I would like to know what comes to your mind about the word freedom, not all the other things that come to your mind, just about the word freedom. All right, just so we're clear. So when I say the word freedom, what is it that you think about in your circumstances, that relates to you. What does freedom mean for you? For some, maybe it's the house, the job, the money. You got it? So, what does freedom mean for you? All right, take 20 seconds, turn to your neighbor, and tell them, This is what freedom means for me. Go. Some of you are looking at me like, No, I'm not. There's no way. Freedom means I don't have to turn to my neighbor, Doug. That's what this is all about. No, relax. We're together. Go ahead, talk to your neighbor. It's all good. I know, this always freaks people out when we say, turn and talk to your neighbor, they go, no, we're in church, we're supposed to look straight ahead, we're not allowed to do that. See, we have freedom today, we have freedom to do whatever we want to do, isn't that fine? Okay, here we go, bring you back now, some of you, I lost you, you're already gone to Starbucks. Freedom, what does freedom mean? See, we love freedom, and freedom means different things to different people, depending on our circumstances. So let's do a little journey, good to go through a little life journey? All right, good. Still there. Interactive church. I love it. So let's talk about this. Those of you that are parents, do you remember when your children were toddlers and you stuck them in those portable prisons? They were called cribs, but they had bars. Kids don't know any different, right? Do you remember the day that your child realized, I can escape? Yeah, I remember that. And they would figure out how to straddle the corner, wedge themselves in the corner, work their way up the bar, put their leg over, not realizing how far it was to the floor... Right? And you go, that's okay. You fall, that's your problem. You were in prison, you shouldn't have tried to get out. And the kid, the look in the kid's face when they realize they can actually straddle the top bar. See, there's something innate in us. We want freedom. We always look for it. Even kids in cribs try to get out. Then we grow up. So this is common experience. We grow up a little bit, we become children. Do you remember what freedom was like for you as a child? Think about it. What was freedom? See, there's one crying for me right now going, get me out of this crib! Freedom as a child, it was when your parents would leave you at home without a babysitter. Our first version of home alone. It was like we got to be at home... And our parents would go out. Now, I, you know, I grew up, my parents were smart. They would go for like 30 minutes and come home, make sure I didn't burn the house down, hadn't given away all the furniture. But there's something about that. We felt really good. We were mature enough to be alone, and our parents didn't have to call in a babysitter. And then we grow a little bit more. Those of you that remember your teenage years, how many of you can remember that far back? It's not that far. Your teenage years, freedom. Think about it. What was freedom for you? Freedom was when you got your driver's license An extended curfew and the keys to your parents car yeah very good we should have a game show going on right now you got your driver's license extended curfew got keys to your parents car it was so good you remember the feeling it was like mom dad can I borrow a car yeah you can borrow the car you took the car you went out like you were king of the world even though it was a minivan it was awesome You would pick up your friends. I'm driving tonight. All of you would be in the minivan thinking you're so cool. Wasn't that cool? But you had the minivan, and that constituted freedom for you. And then you got that final stage of your life when you bought your first car. You now own the keys to this. You had no idea what it was going to cost for insurance, taxes, fuel, repairs, but you felt good that this beater was going to carry you around for a little while, and you had your freedom. I remember when I got the keys to my first car, I convinced Dad, Dad, let me buy a car. I was at home still in school. He goes, okay, you can buy a car, but you've got to pay for the whole thing. And I thought, that's it. I can now control my destiny. I had my car. And then mom would say, would you drive your son over to school, your brother over to school? I go, oh, okay, I'll drive my... Then I'd come home, would you take the kids down to the mall? Oh, man, would you go to the store? I realized that I wasn't free. I was an Uber driver, and I wasn't being paid for it. <laughs> it was before Uber was out. I was an Uber driver. And I thought I had freedom. Well, then comes the one day we all know. And if you're still at home, all I can do is paint you a picture of what's coming. it's a beautiful day for you. Freedom was when you finally move away from? Parents. Parents, Yeah. Wow, there was a little bit of, you know, real delight in that statement. When we get to move away from home for the very first time, we get our own place, a basement suite, an apartment. Didn't even matter. We'd move in with a neighbor if it was freedom for us. But we get our first place. We have our keys. We walk in. It's our place. That's our furniture. Yeah, it was on the curb, but it doesn't matter. We picked it up. That's our furniture. We go to our fridge. We open it up for our food. Remember this? What was in there? An old pizza box with a stale slice of pizza, three soda cans, a container of ketchup, and a Chia Pet. And you go, I didn't buy a Chia Pet. I don't remember anybody giving me a chia pet. You know what a chia pet is, right? The ceramic finger rings with the little chia seeds on, put water on, and poof, sprouts. And you go, I didn't buy a chia pet. Nobody gave me a chia pet. That's my bologna sandwich. I lost that like three weeks ago. See, that's what freedom is when you're a young adult. It's like, I don't know, stuff grows in my fridge. And then our final stage of freedom, I'm sure there's many more, but it's when you, as parents, you become a parent and your final expression of freedom is... Yeah, when the kids leave home, nothing like it. You're weeping as they're going out the door going, they think you're sad and you go, man, I've been waiting for this day. And you're like bolting the door, honey, get the deadbolt. We're changing the locks, changing the keys. And you feel so good. Those of you that are at home, I feel so sorry. You think that they're going to cry for you. Yeah, they are. They're going to cry all the way out to freedom. And when you leave, but parents, what happened? They came home. Yeah, they came back home again. Did you notice that? Kids leave, then they come home. Now you're crying again because freedom's gone. Then they leave, then they come back home, and you go, This is not the way this is supposed to work. Cut the rubber band, send them off into orbit, get your freedom back. Why are we talking about freedom? Because freedom is fundamental to our Canadian culture. In fact, it's one of our cornerstones. It's something that we cherish so deeply. It's not simply a privilege. It's what we call one of those defensible rights that we have as a country. We have it as a cornerstone that everyone should enjoy and experience freedom. In fact, let me just share a little quote with you. These are words from our 13th prime minister Uh, John Diefenbaker, and here's what he said. I am a Canadian. I am free to speak without fear, free to worship in my own way, free to stand for what I think right, free to oppose what I believe to be wrong, and free to choose those who shall govern my country. This heritage of freedom I pledge to uphold for myself and for all mankind. That's the power and the declaration of freedom as we celebrate Our 150th year as a nation, it is seeded into who we are. Our forefathers and our founders have defended this freedom. We long for it. We strive to discover it personally, and we celebrate and protect it as a national identity. But where did this freedom originate from? Is it found in man's ingenuity? Did we just come up with this great concept that this is somehow something we should do? Or do we actually recognize That freedom is in the very essence of who God is. That true freedom has God's fingerprints all over it. And we'll never understand freedom if we don't see it from the concept of which God created it. And it's right there in the Christmas story. And this is what's so remarkable. So often we're so familiar with the Christmas story that when we open it up, we don't often see the words that are right there. But I want to show us, just in a few moments we're going to have together today, that God had embedded freedom in the very narrative of the birth of Christ. And you're going, well, Doug, where do you see that? Well, thank you for asking. Get your Bibles up. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 2 this morning, and we want to read together, and I'm going to show you some observations about freedom in the Christmas story that I believe will help us understand and appreciate freedom. But most importantly, for some of us, this may be the beginning of our very first experience of what freedom is all about. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read at verse 1, and here's what it says. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We, ha- we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So often we read a story and we are enamored with its history and all of our memories of the story, but it's very easy to miss the truth that God had embedded right there. So I'm going to spend a few moments, if you want to take a few notes, pull out your outline, you can write it in or do it on the app. I'm going to share some observations about freedom that I want to share with you. Take it away, reflect on it, because it's what the Christmas message is all about. Number one, write it down. Freedom comes in unexpected ways. Freedom comes in unexpected ways. It's the familiarity sometimes of the story that obscures the wonder of the statement. But Matthew chapter 2, leave your Bibles open this morning as we go through. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, here's what we read. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, we heard the statement. We've read the statement. Probably got greeting cards and Christmas greetings with that statement on it. But I wonder if we've paused to recognize the words that were stated where's the one born? In this amazing moment of time, God would reveal something to us that freedom was never expected to come in the form of a child. So think about it. What was the accepted culture of the time? What was the social structure? What was the military structure of the culture at the time? This was a culture of kings and warriors, not babies in blankets. Think about Herod. This was the Game of Thrones. For the victor's cup, you wrestled it from your opponent's clutches with power, abuse, and intimidation. There's no room for a child in this type of culture. Herod had learned his trade well. He was schooled in the arena of the Roman war machine. He knew what it was to defend his freedom. Trust no one. Depend upon no one. And eliminate every potential threat that's where freedom comes from for herod freedom was woven into the threads of cunning deceit lies and betrayal and you ruthlessly controlled the people and you told them this was their freedom and yet when we see the wonder of this moment right here freedom comes in a child When informed by the Magi, the wise men of a potential rival to his throne, what does he do? Herod unleashes the full fury of his wrath. We often don't look at the part of the story over the Christmas season, but it's called the massacre of the innocents. It's that moment when Herod recognized that someone else could potentially steal his throne, so what does he do? He sends his henchmen out into Bethlehem, and any young boy child under the age of two was just murdered. Murdered. So the cries of parents, the weeping of the prophets, the mourning of a nation waiting for the long-expected Messiah. See, even they were hoping for a rescuer who would come with power to overthrow dominions. But they never expected that a child would be the pathway that God would use. Herod missed it. Freedom isn't in the clutches of power. It comes in the cradle of humility. Humility it comes through the innocent of a child it would be the angel of the lord that would speak to the lowly shepherds and they would say do not be afraid i bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people for today in the town of david a savior has been born to you and he is the messiah the lord and this will be a sign to you you will find a what a baby yeah you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger he didn't say you're going to find a conquering hero he didn't say that you're going to find a warrior he said you're going to find a baby We don't think of a baby as being the source of our freedom because freedom comes in this unexpected way. So let me ask a question. Where where are you looking for your freedom? We all are. We are. We've either banked our future, and some of us, we're investing in our jobs, and we go, if we can move up the ladder and get into positions of power or get into positions of security, that's got my future, that's got my freedom. I'll have the right pay scale, I'm going to have the right position, I'm going to have the right future advancement, that's going to be my freedom. Others look at their investments. If I can bank enough and protect that money and somehow that's going to get me my future, others of us, it's in our RRSPs, we're waiting for Freedom 55, you know that's gone, right? It's Freedom 95 now. It's just the way it is. So we look at that. Some of us think if I marry the right person, they're going to find that freedom for me. There's not that many wealthy people left to marry, is there? It's not in the marriage. It's not in the relationship. It's not even in the independence of getting away from our parents. Sometimes we think that's our freedom. And yet God does something remarkable. He certainly does something unexpected. He wraps freedom up in the story of a child and no ordinary baby. Back, fact, Philippians tells us that this little child, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he would make himself nothing, taking the very nature of human likeness in the form of a servant. He would become one of us. This Jesus would choose, the Son of the living God would choose to wrap himself in flesh in the constraints of a child and say, Dad, I'll do that. If humanity needs freedom and the forgiveness of sins... The Son of God chooses that this would be the way that He would come to this world. It comes in the most unexpected ways. In fact, Paul would write about this, and he would say it is for freedom that Christ would what? Set us free. That only through Christ would we really truly find freedom. That means then all of our ambitions and our pursuits and our self-centered advancements and even our religious pursuits, he goes, none of that will give you what you truly desire at the core of your heart and spirit, that the freedom that we all long for, and we all do, we want to know what it is to wake up every morning and just feel that the purpose for which I was created and the which I'm alive, the purpose for which I serve and my future, it is all contained in my freedom. And we realize it's not in what I can do in my self-made destiny. It is, comes through us in the form of a child, and it is through Christ and Christ alone. And Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The forgiveness of sins is the greatest release of our life that we'll ever discover. And when we truly experience that, it changes our destinies. So, freedom comes in an unexpected way. There's another observation. I want you to write this down freedom comes with a cost, it comes with a cost. It's something that many of our forefathers knew all too well. In fact, here's a little experiment. Let's do something real quick this morning. How many of you were born in Canada? Quick show of hands. All across the room, hold them up high. Be proud, you're born. You're Canadian. It's the way you are. Don't be yeah, don't be humble right now. Just be proud. All right, look around, everybody see? Wave your hands, everybody see. Interesting. How many of you, by raise of hands, were not born in Canada? Whoa. Isn't that remarkable? So what's so significant about this? See, freedom comes with a cost. Those of you that just raised your hands, you either paid a price or your parents paid a price or your grandparents paid a price for you to be here today. They immigrated into this country. They came to this land of opportunity and greatness. I I hope it's what you expected so far. If not, there's no refund. You're here. That's the way it is. And we're sorry about that because we are Canadians. So there you go. But it doesn't matter whether you raise your hand the first time because you were born here or you raise your hand the second time. Here's what's true about all of us our country is only 150 years old. That means it was great great grandparents, grandparents, or parents who paid a price for all of us to be in this wonderful nation that we're living in. They left family, they left friends, they left businesses, they left family heirlooms, they left their circle of knowledge. Anything that was familiar to them was given away in order that they could come to a country. People came, they landed on boats, they took trains across this country. They They pioneered pieces of land in central and on the prairie provinces so that this country could become what it is today. Some of you, you left your country, you left your people, you left your family. You know that there's a cost that comes with this. And we recognize that freedom comes and demands a price. And that's the story of Christmas. It goes all the way back to Abraham when God said to Abraham, I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave this place that's familiar to you. And I want you to go. And Abraham goes, where? And he goes, don't worry, I'll show you. You don't know yet, but I'm going to show you where you're going to go. And if you'll trust me, Abram, it's going to work out. In fact, if you'll trust me, I will make you great. And I will make the number of your descendants greater than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. You won't even be able to count them. In fact, if you'll trust me, they will become a light to the nations of the world, and the world will look to these people because they'll see truth coming from them. And if you trust me, Abram, you're going to discover freedom Because the lineage that you're going to lead into, freedom is going to come through that lineage. We understand that all through Scripture, there's a price to be paid when freedom is actually offered to us. And we see it again in the Christmas story. Go back to Matthew chapter 2. Look what it says that the Magi, in verse 1 and 2, it says, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. And they said, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, we often have this overtly romanticized version of the Christmas story, so we envision this entourage of wealthy aristocrats. They pull up in, in front of Herod's palace with all the fanfare of the local citizenry. They park their Lambert Camel guineas in front of the palace. They get off of their animals, and they walk up, and they knock on the door, and he goes, Herod, home! And he opens the door and goes, Hey, fellow wealthy people, come on in. And they have this conversation. They go, Oh, by the way, you know where's the King of the Jews born? Now think about this. We soften the edges of the story, and we miss the gritty, gutty part of this. It wasn't this way. When I think about the story here, I want you to think about what's missing in our version, or what's eliminated from our memories. It's the cost that's paid. These individuals that we know as the magi or the wise men paid a remarkable price. The years spent calculating, observing, charting, and anticipating a spectacular astronomical event that was occurring in the sky, and they're telling their friends about it. The financial resources they invested into potentially what would be a a reckless pursuit of freedom, and their friends mocking them, you're going where? You're chasing a what? A star? Oh, good for you. The personal risk, the threat of danger to traverse some of the most barren and harsh landscape known to humanity at the time. Then not to mention, you show up at the local king's palace, you knock on the door, and he welcomes you in, and you ask him. You ask the king of the Jews, who, by the way, was appointed and protected by Rome, Where's the one born King of the Jews? You all know that's not the thing to do as a greeting, right? You don't show up, at the particularly the one who's a lunatic, you don't show up at his place and ask him, Where's the one born King of the Jews? See, freedom always comes with a price. And even the wise men understood there would be a price. You can't make this stuff up. This is not a Netflix original show, by the way. This is God in His best, showing us that freedom always has a cost. And they knew that the pursuit of this freedom was going to cost them something, but it was always part of God's plan, and it was always factored into the story right from the beginning of time. And even with the birth of Jesus, we see the cost being revealed. Mary, what does she do? The Bible says that she wrapped her child. She wrapped Jesus in cloths. And she placed him in a manger. Most, most mothers dream about the birthday of their child. They've got snugglies and one pieces and these beautiful little wraps that they're going to wrap their child in. And Mary takes a little piece of cloth from Joseph and it's a death cloth and wraps her child in what they have available. The prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, they didn't merely hint at the cost. The father didn't send his son and say, oh, by the way, little asterisk mark, read the fine print. There could be a little bit of trouble involved in this plan. No, God didn't do that. From the very outset, God spoke through his prophets and declared that there was a cost. Isaiah 53, verse 8, what does God say through the prophet Isaiah? He says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. That doesn't sound like friends on the street. Yet who of his generation protested when this took place? He was cut off from the land of the living and for the transgression of my people, he was being punished. Jesus understood that when he bowed his knee to the will of the Father, there was a cost to be paid for freedom, yet he willingly died for the sins of the world. And on the cross, when he breathed his last breath, what did he say? It is finished. Those standing around looking at him on the cross, they maybe surmised, they speculated that he was saying, I I can't take this anymore, I'm done, I just want to die and I want to give up my life right here. But Jesus wasn't doing that. When he breathed, it is finished. The cost of freedom was connected to the moment of birth. He was wrapped for death and in death he was fulfilling the plan of the Father that salvation would come to all humanity that this salvation would come at a cost so that we wouldn't get caught up in endless pursuits of freedom that would leave us feeling empty because God knew that you could never have enough money. You couldn't have enough homes and cars and clothes. None of that will fill the void that's in the human spirit that was created by God and can only be filled by God. And it's a relationship that would come and be restored through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, it is finished. The cost has been paid What a wonderful, remarkable message of freedom that we find at this Christmas season. If you're observing how freedom comes, then I want you to write down one more thing this morning. The true freedom. True freedom always requires personal surrender. There has to be that moment where you recognize that to be free, there has to be surrender. You know, one of the things I love about Christmas... um, I love the memories, I love decorating the house. Well, truth be told, in our house, I don't decorate the house. That's Laura's job. Like she does all the tree and the trimming and the lights in the house and you know, everything looks really she gives me one job. You go on the roof, you know, the one place that you're gonna fall off of. She knows I have a life insurance policy. That's what I think this is all about. You go on the roof, you string the lights, that's your job, I got the rest covered. So next year we're gonna negotiate. I think we're gonna change this up a little bit. But I, I love Christmas. I love all the memories. I've told many of you, you know the story, I was raised, my dad was a pastor, he primarily pastored small church communities. So it was always a small group of people. So when Christmas would come, how many of you know what a Christmas pageant is? All right, the Christmas play. It's Charlie Brown, but in the church world. So it's the Christmas story in the local church. So when Christmas time would come, small church, so that means all cast characters were in, even all the pastor's kids. So they would always have, you know, the old robe somebody had donated, whoever fit, you're that role so that's how they figured out who played what part in the play and i remember that i got great memories of that there would be the candy bags brown paper bags stuffed with mandarin oranges apples peanuts all kinds of candy why don't we do that anymore Dwayne? i don't know why we should do that i guess not nobody's into that yeah i thought i'd get a yes come on let's do the candy bags again we'd have that so that was part of the memories one of the other memories, I don't know if you have this one because many of you have immigrated to the country, but for me, I grew up in the West, and so one of the treats at Christmas time was Japanese Mandarin oranges. Oh, nothing like a Mandarin. Now, they were shipped in wooden crates, and each orange was individually wrapped in what color paper? Yes, green paper they were wrapped they were they were like gifts, they were like wrapped up and put in a box, and they were so precious they were nailed inside of wooden crates and I remember Dad would get the box, and he'd pry the top off, pull that one slat, everybody tracking with me so far, and then he'd reach in and hand an orange out. they were like gold. This was like everybody got an orange, then he 'd put the thing on and nail it right back down so the kids couldn 't steal another orange before the day was out, yeah, that was the way it was. And that, But the oranges were kind of bittersweet, not the fruit, but the experience. Because once the oranges were all gone, that box served another purpose. Did you know you could dismantle all those wooden slats and they became rods of discipline for the family? (laughs) Because when you're raising six kids, anything needs to be available. So I have this bittersweet memory. I love the fruit, but I remember the pain. It all goes together with Christmas. And I remember coming, and just early in the morning... Slipping out from the bedroom to get underneath the Christmas tree. and Anybody done that? Yeah, I thought it was early in the morning. Dad said, no, it's still Christmas Eve. Go back to bed. Not even past midnight yet. Early in the morning, we'd crawl out and we'd just curl up under the tree and we'd look at the lights. There'd be all of the wonder and the amazement of what was about to take place. Those are great memories. But I've also cherished the memories of the story. The wonder of what it was to have this shadowy little village this Palestinian hillside, right within the shadow of luxury and power, but where they were enjoying and indulging themselves in all that the land could offer. Over here in this remote little place where the shepherds were watching their flocks, the angels would come and bring this most remarkable story. The kaleidoscope of the different characters that God was calling together to tell his story using angels and shepherds, a young teenage girl, a man who trusted that God's angel was right, that this woman was carrying the child of God. All of these characters coming together. I love how God just fits this in. So you have the wonder and the amazement and then the simplicity of the message with such profound implications. For to you is born this day a Savior, the Messiah, Christ the Lord. So simple, but universal application, if we understood what it was. Now go back to Matthew chapter two for just a moment, because you realize that true freedom comes with personal surrender. And here we see it, Matthew two, eleven and twelve. Says that the Magi on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and then they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I love that. These emissaries, dignitaries, aristocrats from foreign lands coming to the home where the child was. And what do they do? They come and they bow their knee and they present their gifts. And they worship this child. It's not that complicated. But freedom requires, freedom requires personal surrender. In a culture that is so adamant about championing our freedom, we often do so by imposing our rights and our convictions on others. And our freedom can quickly regress into forced compliance. And yet Jesus would even teach his own disciples that freedom isn't about power and control and acquisition. Because when they argued about who should be the greatest, Jesus goes, you don't understand. You want to be the greatest, you need to become the least we know the word. You need to become the least. You need to become the servant of all. You need to serve. Jesus was teaching them that freedom isn't about when you finally achieve the greatness you're striving for. Freedom is when you bend your knee and you serve someone else. And that bended knee gives you such liberty of heart and spirit, it'll change your world. So if you want to truly be free, it's found in personal surrender. It's the message of hope that is portrayed at Christmas over and over and over, and it's retold over the centuries. It's shepherds coming before a child in a manger, bending their knee in amazement at the message that they had heard, and they go and they tell everybody. Dignitaries arriving with all of their gifts at the home where the child was and walking into the presence of Mary and Joseph, bending their knee in worship and adoration of the one whom God said would bring them true freedom, and it didn't stop there. Prostitutes and criminals, the curious, the religious, all of them would come before Christ. The blind and the poor bending their knee before this man. They would find freedom, true freedom. A Roman centurion standing at a cross watching a man whose lifeblood was draining from him, all of a sudden captured in that moment goes, Surely this man was the Son of God. You see, that's what it is. Freedom comes when we give personal surrender, and it happened as soon as the resurrection took place, when Mary realized who he was, when the disciples realized who he was, when doubting Thomas realized who he was. True freedom, friend, comes through personal surrender, and that's the power of Christmas. To a supervisor working in a corrections facility, shocked at the news that there had been a jailbreak, certain that his life was over, certainly the job was done, but it would be the voice of Paul, for those incarcerated there were Paul and Silas, and Paul would stay his hand of his own execution, and he goes, don't kill yourself, we're still here. Shocked that prisoners had not taken advantage of what any other human would have, they didn't run away, they stayed in their cell. And when asked why they didn't leave, Paul explains to them the path to true freedom. It's not bars that constrain us. It's our life of sin and our misunderstanding that constrains us. And the jailer asks him, how can I find this freedom? And it's so simple. He says, Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus. It's not whether a prison door is open or closed that gives me my freedom, Paul was saying. It's whether I believe in who Jesus is. And even for those like Paul, once highly regarded among the religious elite, Paul says, that freedom gave me nothing. But when I found Christ, Philippians 3, 7 and 8, he said, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. See, friends, freedom is in Christ. And freedom comes through personal surrender. So the question I would leave with you today is this. Where are you searching for your freedom? Now, you've heard me speak about the message of Christmas, but in a moment of absolute honesty, personal honesty, you don't have to tell anybody. This is for you. Where are you banking to find your freedom? Is it in a relationship? Is it in your job? Is it in your money? Is it in maybe hopefully in your future? Where are you looking? And I just want to remind you, the reason for the message of Christmas It's not so that we have a holiday and that we can celebrate and give gifts to each other and sing a few carols together. The reason we come together is to remind each other and to proclaim to a world desperate for this news that true freedom came to us through the gift of Jesus Christ, an infant child born, proclaimed by angels, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, raised by the power of God. Why? So that you And so that I could know what freedom truly is. So this Christmas season, I just want to remind you that when you hear these words, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. The greatest expression of freedom for us is to recognize who Christ is and then together we come. Bend our knees. And as we did just a little earlier in our service, We worship Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. For freedom comes in unexpected ways. It comes with a cost, but it also comes through surrender. And I pray this Christmas season, all of us would once again recognize that what God has given us is priceless. And it is not something we strive for, and it is not something we can earn. It is a gift that has been given, and all we can do is receive it. So let's worship Him for who He is. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray that we would have the wonder and amazement reignited in our spirit as to what this season is truly all about. That in the midst of a world, and particularly a culture, that is fascinated with bigger, brighter, better, and more, that we would pause to be reminded again that the best gift that we have is the gift of freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. And we don't have to do anything to earn it. We simply come, we bow a knee, and we recognize that this gift, he was and he is the son of the living God. And through him we have this wonder of forgiveness of sins and new life. And so I pray, may we experience that this Christmas season. And may we with joy in our hearts share it with everyone who has yet to hear. As your eyes are still closed in a moment of personal reflection and prayer. I wonder if you're in the room today and you'd be honest with me and I would love to close out in prayer and just include you. But as others are praying, if you'd be honest enough with me to say, you know, Doug, I've heard you talk about freedom. I know about Jesus. I know the message of Jesus. But I've never said yes to him personally. I've never asked him to be the Lord of my life. I've never acknowledged that he is the one that has given me a free gift. And all I have to do is receive it. And it'd be my honor today to pray with you before we dismiss. Just as you say, Jesus, come into my life. Be Lord over my circumstances. Help me to stop striving and chasing things that are meaningless. And help me to find the true freedom in life that you offer through your gift this year. And if that's you, would you quickly raise a hand? Nobody else is looking around, but just quickly raise it so I can see it. I just want to pray with you before I go today. Anyone at all? Yes, thank you. Anyone else today? Yes. Just real quick, and I'll just close out in prayer for the rest of us. Thank you, Father. God, I thank you for those that are raising hands and those that are making the decisions to trust you today. Greatest joy we have is really understanding what it is to have a relationship with you. So today, I pray for those that have raised their hand for the first time. Father, may they have your spirit in them. May they know the joy that comes through this season. We're going to do everything in our power to help them as a church, to understand what it means to follow and walk with you. But most importantly, I pray that they would experience what your word tells us, that the spirit of God is going to give them that conviction, that confirmation that they're your children. And this season, they really know freedom. I prayed in Christ's name, and everybody said, amen.